Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Sometimes I'm not sure they're not just showing off, you know. (laughs) Hear the story about the town gossip? She gossiped about everybody. If it wasn't true, she'd make it up. And one time she told a story about this this, uh, old boy in town. She'd noticed that his car was parked at the local bar. And then she went, when she went by the next morning, she realized it was still parked at the local bar. And she told everybody that would listen that he had spent his whole night parked at the local bar. He didn't say a word when he heard it. Didn't try to get mad or any of that. But that evening, he went and parked his truck in her driveway. <laughs> and he left it there till morning. <laughs> I wish I was that clever. You know why we like that? Uh, you know why we like that story? Because... He got even. And that's why we like stories like that, because it's all about getting even. We all like to get even. We all want the world to balance out and the good to win and the bad to not. And and so we love a good justice story. And that applies to our life, too. We want justice in our life, and we want life to balance out. and We want the good guys to win and the bad guys to lose. But there's a tension here because you and I are called to live by grace, That's the book of Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Everything that's said in Romans 12 and following is all about living by grace. Chapters 1 through 11 are about the theology of grace. Chapters 12 and following are about living out grace. You were saved by grace, so now you have to live grace and live graciously. And uh, we talked about this last time. I don't know if you were with us or not, but in in verses uh, 9 through 13, he talks about living grace. And he says grace is authentic. It's uh, truthful, sacrificial, diligent, tough-hearted, open-hearted. Those are the things that should be indicative of our life. We're called to live by grace. But what happens when we're trying to live by grace and we run into graceless people who do ungracious things to us? What then? Beginning in verse 14 down through 21, he talks about grace and conflict. And uh, man, I've got to tell you, this is one of the more convicting sections of the Bible, but one of the more applicable ones that really hit us right where we're living. So let's unpack that this morning, and let's start with this. The first thing that I see him say is react with grace. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. The first reaction is often the most important, and it's usually the hardest, because the knee-jerk reaction when someone hurts us, or someone says bad things about us, or someone posts something snarky on Facebook, or whatever, the knee-jerk reaction is to curse. Now, we don't use that expression, we don't curse them, but we don't say nice things about them. Because the minute someone hurts us, they become the bad guy, because obviously, we're always the good guy. And so our knee-jerk reaction becomes that. But look what he says, bless those. And that word bless is really where we get the word eulogize, eulogy. It's what you do at a funeral, you know, when this guy dies, no, no matter what kind of guy he was, we try to find a way to say something nice, right? And for some people, that can be a challenge. But it means to speak good, to say good things. And notice who you say good things about. Those people who persecute you. Uh, man, now it's really becoming 
difficult. I mean, I can say nice things about the people I love and who do, do loving things to me, but it's altogether different when you talk about somebody who is persecuting you. And let me show you a distinction. In verse 12 of Romans 12, you'll see that he, he makes this statement, persevering in tribulation. And that word that's translated tribulation there is a word that is often translated persecution. It has with it the same idea as the one in verse 14, but it's slightly different. In verse 12, that word that's often translated persecution uh, means affliction, affliction. And, and so it really is dealing with the product of persecution, that momentary experience of being persecuted, what it feels like when that person does something bad to you. That's that word. This word that he's using, uh, which is translated persecute almost the exact same number of times as that other word, this word doesn't have to do so much with the product, but at the core of this word is the idea of chasing or pursuing or intention. And so the idea is bless those who are intentionally trying to hurt you. And you go, yikes, man, that's a, that's a tough assignment. When someone actively is attacking you, it's, it's hard not to become defensive. But he says, say good things about people who are saying bad things about you. And let me say, Paul modeled this. We looked last time, you look up Romans 9, verses 1 through 2. Paul's talking about the Jews. And man, he's blessing them. He's talking about how much he loves them. He says, I would give up my own seat in heaven if... if if it would cause the Jews to come to faith in Jesus. That's how much he loved them. And, and throughout, Paul is always, you read throughout the book of Romans, he's, he's constantly lifting up the Jews. He's just sad that they didn't receive Christ. But then you go over to 2 Corinthians, for example, in ver chapter 11, verse 24, and you read the resume of suffering from Paul. And he's talking about what the Jews had done to him. They had scourged him five times. They had beaten him with rods. He had been stoned one time. And you think of all the pain and all the affliction that these people had done to Paul. They had hunted and hounded him everywhere he went. And yet he's still blessing them. He modeled that. And man, that's tough. Jesus modeled it too when he was on the cross. Do you remember what he said about those that had put him there? He said, Father... Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. People who had actually crucified Christ, in that moment, He blessed them. And that becomes our model. Stephen did it when they were stoning Stephen. He said virtually the same thing. But you know, there's another example of Jesus blessing someone who has said something unkind about Him. This time it was, of all people, John the Baptist, for real. Look at Matthew chapter 11 sometime. John the Baptist is in prison. John the Baptist is all about righteousness. His, his calling was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he was calling people to repentance. So he's all about truth. He's all about righteousness. And now he's gotten sideways with the legal people. They've thrown him into prison. And while he's in prison, he's hearing one story after another about Jesus that is undermining his faith. They're saying things like, man, Jesus is soft on sin. Jesus is hanging out with pre-rotten people. He's hanging out with prostitutes. He's hanging out with tax gatherers. He's going to parties, man. Jesus is a partier. And all of that begins to eat away at John the Baptist in prison. And it begins to erode his faith to the point that he finally sends a couple of his disciples. And he says to Jesus, to Jesus, are you the one or do we look for another one? I mean, that is a staggering statement. 
And it doesn't just express John the Baptist's doubt. There's a, I don't know, a thinly veiled accusation in it. Jesus, you're not what I expected. You're not doing what Messiah's on. Your life is decidedly unmessiah-like. Are you really the one? And you think about the the shudder that this would have sent and the shock that it would have sent through Jesus' disciples and through everybody that was familiar with that intimate relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to disassociate himself with John the Baptist? Is he going to throw John the Baptist under the bus? Is he going to retaliate and say, that those are the words of a crazy man in prison? What's he going to do? Here's what he did. He stood up in front of all those people and said with a loud voice, when you went to see John the Baptist, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man in fine clothing? That wasn't John the Baptist. Did you go out to see a reed that's blown by the wind? That's not John the Baptist. He said he was a prophet. And then he made this statement. He said, among those born of women, there has not arisen uh, anyone greater than John the Baptist. One guy said, when John the Baptist said his worst about Jesus, Jesus said his best about John. That's our model. Be careful with that first reaction. Bless those who persecute you. Don't immediately retaliate and turn them into some sort of enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Secondly, express genuine empathy. It gets hard. For me, it's almost like i got to react right. Okay, I got that. Now I've got to express genuine empathy because he says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And both of these are made more difficult when you realize he's not necessarily talking about people that you love as he is talking about people who don't love you. When it comes to perceived enemies, we tend to rejoice when they weep and weep when they rejoice, right? Because there's something in us that just loves to see that guy that has done us wrong do bad. And we always kind of want to get even, don't we? I mean, isn't that kind of part? It's like the guy that got bit by the rabid dog and he went to the doctor and the doctor ran the test. He said, man, I'm sorry, but I've got some bad news. You do have rabies and you're going to die because of it. And the guy said, you got a pen and some paper? He said, what? He goes, I need a pen and some paper. He said, okay. So he gives him a pen and some paper. The guy sits down. He starts to write furiously. And the doctor's thinking, what a guy. I mean, in the middle of all this, he's thinking about other people. And he's wanting to write out his will and make sure everybody gets what they need and all of that. And what a fine guy. And he just keeps writing. The guy's writing. The doctor finally loses patience and says, hey, do you mind? Uh, what are you writing? He said, I'm making a list of all the people I plan to bite. <laughs> That's what we do. You got rabies? Who am I going to bite? Because there's something in us that wants the people that hurt us to hurt. That's not what he says. He says, do the opposite. Listen. He says, do the opposite. Weep with those who weep. You know what happens when you weep with those who weep? You empathize. And when you empathize, you humanize. One of the problems we have in conflict is we'll make the other person less than human. 
But when we, when we stay in their sandals and we slide in their shoes and we walk around in the world, they walk around it. And we force ourselves to feel their pain. Then we force ourselves to continue to allow them to stay human. And at the same time, we force ourselves to see people the way Jesus sees people. He never gave up on people. He stayed with people and he empathized with them. So you, re- you, you weep with those who weep and you rejoice with those who rejoice, which I think is even harder. I mean, you're struggling to pay the electric bill and that guy wins the lottery. I mean, it's hard to rejoice with that, right? I think there's a lot of people who will weep with you when you weep, but there are fewer people who can rejoice with you when you rejoice because they become so competitive. And we tend to become even more competitive in conflict. Can you be just as happy for him as he is for himself? Because his success does not in any way diminish you. And in the process, who am I trusting? I'm trusting Christ. Third thing is stay low. Verse 16, stay low. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There's a note in the translation of the New American Standard where it says associate with the lowly. It says accommodate yourself with low things. That's an alternate translation. Stay low. There's a movie by Robert Duvall called Stay Low or Get Low. Uh, Maybe you've seen it. It's one of those that nobody saw. Uh, And the only thing that makes the movie good is Robert Duvall. But it's an interesting story. There's an old hermit that lives out in the hills of Tennessee. It's based on a true story, by the way. And he was carrying this secret. And this secret just racked him with guilt. And he wouldn't confess it to anybody because he wanted to punish himself. He wanted to carry that secret. And so now he's come to the end of his life and he goes to a preacher with a wad of cash and he says, I want you to put on a funeral for me. He wants the funeral before he dies. And uh, the, the, the preacher doesn't really want to do it. He doesn't know this guy. So he goes to the funeral home guy who's played by Bill Murray. And Bill Murray's character is more than willing to do it because he just needs the money. And, and what the guy says to the preacher really stuck with me. He said, I need to get low. In the, in the mountain vernacular of hillbilly culture, what he was saying is, I need to humble myself. It's time for me to confess my sin. It's time for me to get on my face before the Father. And there are a lot of people who want to do that at the end of life, but we're called to do that throughout our life. That's what grace is. It's about staying low. It's about living low. And there's a critical connection to how this applies to conflict. And here it is. The more bombastic and self-important you are, the less capable you are of ignoring an, an offense. And man, don't we see that in our world? Pride always has to defend itself. It always has to have the last word. Look, don't put yourself on a pedestal and don't let anyone else put you on a pedestal. Because here's the truth. People on pedestals fall hard when they fall off and they always fall off. So stay low. Remember who you are. Remember who you are without Christ. Remember who you are without Jesus. And don't think too highly of yourself. And then don't seek vengeance. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. This is so hard because it's human nature to want to get even. You know what the problem with trying to get even is? (laughs) 
Nobody can ever define even. What's even? I've told y'all this story before. I, my, my two oldest sons were 18 months apart. My second son was a biter. When he was little, he would just bite. Kind of aggressive, and he was a biter. And so he was always biting his brother. One day, they were in the back of the house playing, and I heard our oldest son go, Ow, you bit me. And I heard his little brother say, Don't tell dad. He said, Here, you just bite me back. That's what he told him. Here, just bite me back. He's like three years old. Don't tell dad. You just bite me back. And, and I thought, I, this is going to be good. So I just kind of listened for a second. And then I heard, ow, smack. He said, you hit me. He said, well, you bit me. He said, you told me to bite you. He said, but you bit me harder than I bit you. And I thought, that's the problem. Anytime I bite you, you're going to assume I bit you harder than, than you bit me because who can define what that is? And that's why this whole thing tends to go upside down. The problem with vengeance is we always bite back harder than we were bitten, and so the pain escalates. Don't seek vengeance. I know what you're thinking. I'm not seeking vengeance. I'm seeking justice, and I get it. Vengeance and justice are so often closely aligned that it's hard to tell where one stops and the other begins, and we all want justice. I want justice. I'm not asking for vengeance. I'm just asking for justice. Well, let me ask you something. What did Jesus give you? Did you get justice? I didn't get justice. You know what justice is? The wages of sin is death. That's justice. Justice is death. God didn't give me that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's called grace. Mercy. God didn't give me justice. He gave me mercy. So why am I, who was given mercy, demanding justice? And yet that's what we constantly are seeking. We've got to balance this thing out. We've got to even it out. You black my eye, I'm going to black your eye. You knock out my tooth, I'm going to knock out your tooth. Pretty soon we're going to run out of teeth and eyes and all of that. And that's the whole problem with all of that. Um, you can't ever get even. Now, that doesn't mean we don't defend ourselves, okay? You have to be able to defend yourself. Look, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, uh, uh, turn the other cheek. And that, that doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. What he's talking about is, don't retaliate. He's talking about seeking vengeance. You got injured, you're trying to seek injury, you, you were injured, I want my pound of flesh. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about don't seek that vengeance. Don't, uh, it's not that you can't defend yourself, and I see throughout the New Testament these guys defended themselves when they were uh, under attack by the Jews, for example. Paul's a great example of this. Now, he, he went to Jerusalem. For the fast, he told the Romans, I'd like to see you, but i got to go to Jerusalem first. He gets to Jerusalem. There's a plot to kill him. What do they do? They secret him out of the city and take him to Caesarea up in the north. And he stays there for two years. And this a variety of Roman uh, uh, political figures interrogate him as he's waiting for trial. And finally, one of them says, let's send him back to Jerusalem. And when he says that, Paul says, no, 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 I've had enough of this stuff. I appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. That's my right. I use the legal system. I appeal to Caesar. He's defending himself. Nothing wrong with that. Because if he doesn't do that, then they're just going to do more of it. And I, I say that because some of you are in an abusive situation. And you thought the answer was 
to placate the abuser and let him just keep turning cheeks until you're out of them. Uh, and that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, don't seek vengeance, but protect yourself. If you're in a bad situation, get out of it. Um, you can defend yourself in that way, but forget about vengeance. Stop trying to get even. Be a person of peace. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know, some people you're not going to be at peace with. They're just unpeaceable. Well, okay, draw a circle around them, keep moving, and you be at peace insofar as it depends on you with all people. In other words, I'm seeking peace. I don't let conflict fester. I don't let hurts turn into bitterness. I, I, I get rid of that junk. I'm not going to walk in it. I'm not going to rehearse it. And leave room for God. This is the main thing. Verse 19, never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. I mean, sometimes it just comes down to faith. Do you, do you trust God enough to take care of that problem? Just let Him. He'll take care of it. I can't tell you how many times in my life that God has proven Himself strong and has just dealt with the problem. He took care of it. If you do need to do something, here it is. Kill them with kindness. Look at verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, and I love this, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Look what happens. For in doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> you want to, you know, if you want to feel like you just got to do something, kill him with kindness. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to take away every rational reason or excuse for him or her to be doing what they're doing. You, you take away the reason for the conflict and, and you leave room for God to work. You see, God's wrath on the wicked is only a part of the story. The more important point is what's going on in your heart. And this is really a faith moment because God can use even bad people, even wicked people for His purpose. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. You got that? You ever heard of this expression called the butterfly effect? The idea was hatched by a mathematician named Edward Lawrence, who was also a meteorologist, and he postulated that complex consequences often stem from the most benign beginnings. And he used as an illustration the wing beat of a butterfly. And he said, for example, a butterfly moves its wings somewhere near the Rocky Mountains, and the turbulence of air disturbed by the beat of a butterfly's wing uh, coalesces with other forces to form a tornado that hits Oklahoma City. The idea is that complex consequences often result from the most benign beginnings, and that's true in your spiritual life. And that's where trust comes in, because everything that happens in your life, God wants to use for His purposes, even bad people. And even the bad experiences that you have. is Look at Joseph. Joseph was sold into bondage by his brothers, right? He was sold into slavery. They were jealous of him. Daddy loved Joseph more, gave him that really cool coat of many colors. And, you know, and so they, they sell him as a slave. Next thing you know, Joseph moves from slavery to prisoner to CEO of Egypt. 
And once he becomes the CEO of Egypt, his brothers realize when they finally meet him that they're in some serious trouble. And so they go prostrate before him going, look, daddy's died. Uh, what are you going to do to us? Because they knew that, that now Joseph had the power to seek vengeance. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph's words to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Look at what God did out of the hurt that Joseph's brothers had done to him. He had not only saved his family, but he had blessed a nation. I mean, there's a similar illustration with Paul. We talked about how the Jews were persecuting Paul, and Paul wrote to the Romans in 1524. He says, uh, I'm going to go to Spain, but I want to stop by and see you guys. But first I've got to go down to Jerusalem and deliver an offering and do some stuff there. And when Paul gets to Jerusalem, they arrest him. They try to kill him. They wind up sending him to Caesarea. He's there a couple of years waiting on trial. He appeals to Caesar. Now he's finally headed to Rome, but he's not headed on the, you know, the, the Norwegian Caribbean line. He's headed on an Alexandrian grain ship. They have a shipwreck. He lands in Malta, gets bit by a snake, survives all that. And finally, he shows up in Rome under armed guard and in chains for a two-year stint. Now, the Jews had wrecked and ruined his life for at least four years. But what does Paul write to the Philippians? He doesn't even mention the Jews. Look what he says, Philippians 1, verse 12. While he's in Roman prison, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. The Praetorian Guard was the Roman legion that was given to, to protect Rome, even from other Roman legions. These were the power brokers, the CIA, the FBI, the, the, the National Guard, all of that all wrapped into one. And they had been assigned to Paul so rather than Paul whine and complain about his chains, he realized, I've got a captive audience. And so he begins to deliver the gospel into the, into the uh, Roman legion there. And you know what happened? Most historians would tell you that the most important group to Christianize Rome was the Praetorian Guard. Now, the church was already in Rome before God, Paul got there, but through his influence in the guard, and as the gospel spread throughout that entire legion, the other people having more confidence, Rome became evangelized. You say, well, okay, well, now consider this. Because Rome became Christianized, Western Europe became Christianized. Okay, so what? Well, because Western Europe became Christianized, America was founded as a Christian nation. And because America was founded as a Christian nation, there was a freedom to proclaim the gospel here that existed nowhere else. And great revivals broke out throughout America. And churches were built. And denominations sprung up. And godly men and women led the charge to bring Christ into our culture. And because of all those people that went before us, you heard the gospel. And so it's not a stretch, it's not a stretch to realize that had Paul not been persecuted by the Jews and sent to Rome, 
and influenced the Praetorian. Western Europe might have been different, America might have been different, and you might have been different. You never know. You got to let God work. Instead of getting all balled up in the moments, you got to see the bigger picture and say, God, what do you want to do? Leave room for God to work. You just don't know. And here's the last thing don't become what you hate. Verse 21. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's poetry in this expression in the original Greek. The word overcome or victor there is the word that we're familiar with. It's Nike. It's, that's the word. That's why they named the shoe Nike. It means victor. But in the original language, he, he does a play on words. He said, don't let evil be victor over you. It's in the passive tense. Don't let yourself be, be defeated or don't let evil have victory, but instead, you be the victor. How are you the victor? By focusing on good. You say, well, how will evil gain victory over me? Here it is. You ready? You become what you focus on. You become what you focus on. Stay with me. If you're constantly focused on that other person, if you're constantly focused on the hurt that other person gives to you, you're going to become what you focus on. Man becomes what he focuses on all day long. That's why you'll see kids who grow up in an abusive situation become abusers. You'll see children who grow up in addictive environments become addicted. Because we become whatever we focus on. And if you become focused on the bitterness of some other person in your life who has injured you in some way, then you'll become the very thing you hate. Don't become what you hate. That's why we release these things to Jesus. Don't let evil be victor over you. You be victor over, over evil. Let it go. Trust God. Seek peace. Don't become what you hate. One guy said it this way. He said, write injuries in dust and benefits in granite. Give the grace you were given. Seek peace. Move on. Christian, that is your calling. That is not advice from a wordy preacher. That's your calling and purpose in life. So if you're holding on to something, it's time to turn it loose. You say, what do I do with it? Well, you bring it to the cross and you lay it at the feet of Jesus. Who is that person who has injured you? Who is that person that has hurt you? Stop trying to get even. Be at peace. Give it to God. Now, let me say this. Some of you can't do that. You're like, man, I'm having such a hard time forgiving. You know why? Because you've never been forgiven. You don't know what it is to be forgiven. You don't know what it's like to, to have grace. You don't have grace in your life, so you can't give grace to anyone else. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you said, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of how I feel about these people. I'm sick of how I feel about my kids. I'm sick about how I feel about my spouse. I'm sick of how I feel about my parents, my coworkers, my boss. I'm sick about how I feel about the world. It's not working. You need grace. You can't give what you don't have. And if you've never received grace right now, in this moment, is the time. You say, well, how do I do that? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what Romans says. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. It's not the result of works that no man should boast. It's the gift of God. And if you've never been forgiven, you'll never be able to forgive.
So why don't you find forgiveness right now today? In just a minute, we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to receive that faith in Christ. But believer, for us, we forget. And we start demanding justice when we've been given grace. It's time for us to give the grace that we received, even to the people who hurt us. Let's pray together. Father, our commitment to you this morning is to be people of grace in conflict. Lord, I want to begin by praying for those who don't have grace in their life and they can't give what they've never received, that in this moment they would simply through prayer, just by faith, trust Christ. Lord, I give my life to Jesus. We thank you that salvation comes through Jesus. There is no other name. And we thank you that you do that work. Thank you for changing lives right now in this place. Father, as believers in this place, we lay ourselves before you that we would be the people who would begin to live out our creed. We believe in salvation by grace through faith. We believe that it comes by grace. We believe that what we've been given was grace, and yet too many times we demand justice. And so we're going to lay that at your feet right now. I lay the bitterness. I lay the unforgiveness. I lay the hurt. Uh, Father, we lay these feelings of animosity. We lay our anxiety. And we pray that you would help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. And in this moment, we release it to you. We just open our hands. It's yours, Father. We release it to you. Let it no more be a part of our lives. We're free of it in this moment. We're free, and we thank you for that in Christ. Thank you for salvation, for redemption, and for freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.